Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now we've been in this study of the Sermon on the Mount really since the end of August. I know some of you are saying, really? And some of you are thinking we started back in 2015 or something, but we didn't. We, it was really the end of August, and, but we're taking it kind of verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and uh, just kind of walking with the Lord through it. And then we got to this place in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches on prayer. He teaches his disciples uh, how to pray. He says, here's a model. And so we, we slowed way down, and we've been taking that kind of phrase by phrase, uh, unpacking that. And I've tried each week to provide some kind of application that would give you some hands-on ways to, to engage this prayer um, this prayer of training that Jesus gave to us as his disciples. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you today, I'm going after something completely different. Uh, I don't have what I would consider to be a lot of applications. Um, today, what I want to do is kind of, I, I pray, maybe stir your passion for something in prayer. Uh, specifically, this prayer. I'm, I've, I have asked, this is the way that I've kind of prayed it. Uh, Holy Spirit, let me just try to strike a match and Holy Spirit, then will you just kind of light a fire that would draw all of us into deeper, richer prayer. And I believe Jesus wants us to do that, especially in the way he ends this prayer. Now, I've, I've come to think of this part of the prayer as kind of a doxology. Uh, a doxology, just quite simply, is just a kind of an expression of praise to God. I know a lot of Baptists think that was something that, you know, you used to sing right after you passed the plates and stuff. But... Um, the doxology is more than that. That was a doxology. But this, this part of the prayer, the early church prayed. Now, some of you will find that this part of the prayer is omitted from your Bible. Um, I'm not going into a big, long history lesson on that. I can send you places if you want to study that. Uh, but basically what happens, some of the newer translations have access to older manuscripts that have been discovered, and that was not in some of those. And so depending on what translations you have, uh, depends on whether that this part is included in your Bible. Uh, it doesn't diminish the power of it. We know historically that the early church prayed this as part of uh, this prayer. Um, and interestingly, the Old Testament prayed a prayer similar to this. Um, some of you are saying, well, Jesus hadn't prayed this yet. He hadn't taught it yet. How can it be in the Old Testament? Well, let's look. Open your Bibles if you want to or just look on the screen. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. David breaks out in praise of God, and it's recorded here in verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over it all. Just this great kind of doxology of praise that, that, that David breaks out into. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this closing line statement, this doxology, this final phrase that Jesus uh, makes of this prayer. And he tells us to pray this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, one of the things that I love about this prayer is it actually displays in the prayer itself um, something of our DNA here at River Bluff. Uh, Cheryl, if you'd bring that slide up, uh, you've seen this if you walk down our hallway. This is what we use visually to describe what we understand a disciple of Jesus is. It's somebody who's living the up, in and out life of Jesus himself. 
trying to pattern our lives after him. And this prayer is patterned that way. This prayer begins at that place of saying, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. It's, it starts with praise. It starts with this upward movement, this movement towards, towards God as, as our king. The Psalms tell us that we should enter the presence of God with praise and, and, and thanksgiving. So from the outset of this prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray, it, it tells us to be God-focused, God-centered. Look, lift up your eyes. Look, look towards the heavens because of who it is that we're approaching. So Jesus teaches us, begin our prayer upward. Hallowed be your name. And then we see the movement of this prayer where Jesus tells us to go inward. And he talks about giving us. And we talked about how this give us is a corporate um, plea even. That this is something we can pray communally for for each other. We pray this together. We can pray it uh, alone with us and Jesus. That's still communal. But we can pray it for one another. And we need to do that. We need to pray that God would meet our needs. We need to pray, God, give us our daily bread. God, give us, um, uh, forgive us our trespasses. We need to pray this communally uh, that way as we do life together. And that's that inward journey um, where we do life together in and we experience God together that way. And then there's this kind of outward expression of this prayer where Jesus told us to pray, forgive us our debts, our trespasses. Some translations say sin. And, you know, I, some, some people say, can you say that word anymore? Yes, you can say it. It's a real deal, okay? We, you know, we all struggle with it according to the Bible. For, forgive us our sin as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And so there's this outward dimension of this prayer because the Bible tells us that we need to, to pray and even forgive our enemies, those outside of our faith even. And so there's this outward expression to this prayer as well, the up, in, and out dimension of a disciple's life. But then the thing that is so beautiful about this prayer is Jesus then circles around, and he comes back to the upward dimension, ending this prayer. It's kind of, you want to think of it coming, coming full circle, reorienting our mind um, so that we realize as we get up from our time in prayer that we have just left all of this at the feet of the throne of God, the Lord God Almighty. The only one who can really do anything about everything. That's who we just left this with. And so Jesus reminds us, go back to that place where you started. Thinking about who this is you have just made all your requests to. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to walk through this prayer, this doxology of this prayer, word by word. Just pause on each word for a moment and, and, and take some time to think of what it means uh, so that as you close your prayer time, you will think back. And maybe this is just a great way that we could close every prayer that we pray using this as a doxology. The first word is for. For. And he goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory. And it's an important word. Don't skip over it. Uh, it it's the word that is kind of transitional. Uh, Jesus has just said, pray, you know, uh, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for Okay, this is something to stand on now. Everything else that came before, all the requests that he was telling us to make, stand on this word for. for this, this is a foundational word that we need to, 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 to grab hold of. And it's the reason that we can ask for these other things is for. It reminds us that we can pray because for God has all authority. For God has all power. God has the uh, ability to, to do this because he is, he is sovereign. And not only is he sovereign, he is willing. So Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, in essence, 
God wills to give to those who ask. We just sang about that. Seeking first the kingdom, God, God wills to give to those who ask. Friends, that's good news. It's great news to stand on this word for. He, he wills. It's the reason we can pray. The reason we can pray, how will be your name? It's because it's, it's for, for the Lord. For it, It's yours, Lord. We can, we can pray that. Now, each word of this doxology, for me, proclaims something that we need to wrap our minds around and be excited about, I think. And this word for proclaims that I can pray with confidence and hope. That's what this word for tells me in this prayer. I can pray with confidence and hope. I can make all those requests that I've just made for. It's rooted on, uh, on God. And this kind of prayer is a prayer of faith. And, and faith pleases God. And it, it, it helps to cultivate even and, and strengthen my faith as I express confidence in God. When I come to God and say, God, I'm asking you for this, I'm asking you for this, I'm asking for. Because it's you, God. It's his character. It's his, it's his attributes. And friends, here's the deal. God's attributes are what our attitudes should always flow from. It's the, it's the attributes of God. Because, you know, because God is holy, my attitude should be, I should come humbly. Because God is, is powerful and mighty, I can come in prayer victorious before I even ask. Because of who he is, his attributes should fuel our, our attitudes. And that's the way Jesus is telling his disciples, this will cultivate your faith if you will remind yourself of the faithfulness and the goodness and the greatness of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that faith is the confidence, assurance that something we want is going to happen. It's the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us. The writer of Hebrews in verse 3 goes on to tell us that uh, about our, the, the, uh, the ancient saints, the old saints, that they were commended for their faith. Look at this, verse 3. Because they understood that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. They accepted that God spoke and it came into creation. Here's one of the really cool things. No matter how big we build telescopes and how far out in space we send them and how much more they show us, all of it, all of it, all of it came from the spoken word of God. He, he spoke it and it came. And our faith, as we focus on that, our, our faith cultivates and is strengthened. You know, every, everything that we see comes from, from God. Verse 6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so when we come to that word for, we need to see it's about our faith. It's about what we stand on, what, we, what we're confident, and we can have confidence and hope because of that word for. The next word, for yours. For, for yours. And I love this friends, this reminds us it all belongs to him. All of it belongs to him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, Christ is the, the visible image of the invisible God. Through him, speaking of Jesus, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. It was created through him. It was created for him. Think about your, your keys. Matter of fact, if you've got keys, pull them out. 
Just pull, just pull them out. Maybe on your keys, maybe one of your keys fits a car. Everything was created by him and for him. That's his car. Maybe you can go to your house key. That's his house. He's just loving enough to let you live in his house. Everything that was created was created through him and for him. And we need to remind that for yours. It's yours, God. Everything, everything is yours. See, that is a possessive phrase that Jesus is telling us that we need to be, be just wrapped around, that hearing that ourselves confess, God, it's yours. And what that means is he has rightful claim to it. You know, if, if, it, if it's his possession, then it's his prerogative to do what he wants to with it. And we need to be captured by that. You know, if you're his, then all of your life belongs, belongs to him. And that means things like, like your checkbook. I know some of you are thinking, what's a checkbook? You know, I, I know, I get that today, you know. Um, okay, that which you keep up your accounting, your income going in and coming out, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but whatever that is for you these days... It's coming to believe and trust that it's all his, 100% of it's his. And he says, guess what? I love you enough. Keep 90%. 10, uh, 10% of it's different. It's, it's, it's holy. You need to take that 10% and give it back to me. Or you can just choose to live on that 100% without my blessing. But if you choose to do it my way because it's all mine, I'll bless that 90% in a way that you cannot imagine. And I'll build your faith for it's yours Oh, God, it's your kingdom. It's your power. And so here's what the word yours proclaims in this doxology. It proclaims that it's all his and it's all about him. It's all his and it's all about him. See, the Lord's prayer moves from our Father in heaven to it's your kingdom, God. It's all your power. It's for your glory, yours, God. You can do with it what you want. And so at the end of the day, when we come and we lay it all at his feet, we come recognizing it is his, and, it, and he has blessed us with so much to, to use that, that is his. And what that means for me is that when I bring it to him and say, God, you do what you see fit with this, I do not have to live in doubt. I do not have to live in fear. I do not have to live with with worry i can just let the tape play because god's he's he's over it all he's he's in control i don't have to doubt him for yours god the next word is is for yours is now some of you are saying aren't you gonna, it's a two-letter word joe come on skip it let's speed this thing up you know but is is a powerful word is here is a good word because is is a declaration of absolute truth. That's what is proclaims. Is proclaims absolute truth that I can build my life upon. You know, is is a to be verb. It's about reality. It's about existence. It's about uh, life it, it, itself. And there's just some reality that God has set in place. And I, I know we think, we live in a day when we think that our feelings should influence the facts. But friends, that's 
that's ridiculous. It's a lie. Your facts just don't, they don't, they don't care about your feelings. Just what's real, what, 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 what reality is. For yours is tells us that there are just certain truths that are true all the time. And one of those is that God is fully in charge. That God is always in command. That our loving Father, He is holy, He is wise, He is able. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is everything. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, we read these words. And we know, we know that the Son of God has come. And He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. He's ultimate truth, absolute truth. All truth is found in Him. Friends, truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. It's the person of Jesus. In John 1.1, we read these words, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Friends, it, it is what it is. It's the way it is. And it is absolute truth. Now, we can talk about what we see going on in the world. We can talk about that. But it's, what we see is not always absolute truth. We can talk about the way things are happening. We can talk about your feelings. That's okay. We can talk about the feelings that are in your heart, the things that you're thinking in your mind, things that you hear with your ears. But I'm here to tell you, those aren't always what is is. Is is not necessarily what I think or what I feel. Because is is the foundation of what God has done and has said. You know, some people will say something like, conversation like this, well, I don't believe in absolute truth. I don't think there's any such thing as absolute truth. Okay. Well, why did you just make an absolute statement about absolute truth? And the way that you just said it means we can no longer even have a conversation about it because you just sawed off the branch you were sitting on. You know? We can't even talk about it now. It's not, it's not friends... If you want, if you desire good mental health, if you want to live a life of sanity, you got to align and anchor yourself what is absolute reality. And then you got to hold on to that tight, very tightly. And you need to declare it to yourself and to those around you because it is true. What God's word has said is true. So how do you know it is? is true. How, how do you know? Well, here's how I know. Because the man who said it got up out of the grave after three days in it. And there were so many eyewitnesses to his resurrection from the dead, people who had seen him dead, saw him alive. There were so many eyewitnesses that that reality would hold up in any real court anywhere. That's how many eyewitnesses there were to that. Here's another reason that I know that it is. It's because that dead man who got out of that grave with all those eyewitnesses changed my heart. Now, here's the deal. You've got to grapple with this yourself, too. You've got to wrestle with this in your own life some. 
You know, I know there have been politicians that went under, um, you know, in a court of law, basically, said something like, well, I can't tell what is, is. Friends, when you come to the word of God, is, is what it is. And it always is. For yours is. There's a foundation of absolute truth. There's a foundation that can stabilize your life. For yours is. Then Jesus goes on. For yours is the kingdom. Now I know some of you are saying, Joe, you skipped the. (laughs) And I can unpack the if you need me to, but I'm not going to do it right now. For yours is the kingdom. The kingdom. And again, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because we spent a lot of time over the last several months talking about the kingdom. If you really want to know a little bit more about it, the very first message in this series was all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus came to to proclaim. So I would encourage you to go back to that message and and maybe take some, some moments there. But here's one of the things that we saw. We saw that there is the kingdom of God, but there's this, this other kingdom. And every one of us have our own kingdom, our own little kingdoms, which means all of us have a kingdom problem. And our kingdom problem is always trying to raise our kingdom above God's kingdom. One of the best commentaries that I have ever read on this comes from kind of a political science theory by an incredible theologian named Dr. Seuss. And so I want to read to you from Dr. Seuss today. This is from the story, Yertle the Turtle. Yertle the Turtle. Somebody said yes. I'm going to show you the pictures so that you can see them. They'll come up on the big screen because I know you, you, you can't see here. But th- this story is about a, a turtle who lived in a little pond in a faraway land called Salamasan. Okay? And little turtles were in this pond and and this one guy named Yertle was the king of the turtles and he he ruled over all of them and one day Yertle began looking around and thinking that his kingdom he says until Yertle the turtle the king of them all decided that his kingdom he ruled was too small I'm king said Yertle of all that I see but I don't see enough that's the trouble with me and so Yertle decided that he needed to set out to enlarge his kingdom and so he starts stacking his little throne on top of 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 other uh, turtles he calls them all in so that he can see farther and farther I'm speed reading through this just so you know skipping some of this and then we come to a place where he he sees far and wide and everything he sees he he sees and he says this I'm your little turtle oh marvelous me for I am the ruler of all that I see and he has continued to build his throne and his kingdom on the backs of others, other turtles under his, under his rule. And if you know anything about the story, the first turtle, the bottom turtle, was a little turtle named Mac. And that turtle did a plain little thing. He burped, and his burp shook the throne of the king. And today, that great turtle, the marvelous he, is the king of the mud, for that's all he can see. Friends, 
if you build your kingdom on you, it will fall. Oh, you'll be the king, but you'll be the king of mud. That will be all. I thought about doing the rest of the message in Dr. Seuss rhythm, but um, I'm afraid that would be too distracting, so I'm not going to do that. Um, See, Jesus, Jesus tells us here, it's, it's, it's the kingdom. In, in Mark chapter 1, Mark records, this isn't in your notes, or is it? Yeah, it is in your notes. I was wrong. Mark records Jesus beginning his public ministry. And in his public ministry, at the very beginning of it, Jesus comes into the region of Galilee, and, and Jesus begins proclaiming that the, the, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. And, and you can know it because it's, it's near. And, and you have to believe and, and you have to repent. The kingdom is near. And Jesus tells us some realities about the kingdom. This is not in your notes. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said in his kingdom, the first shall be last. And everyone who exalts himself shall, shall be humbled. See, it's about the king and his kingdom. How many of y'all remember... There's a little song. Um, the, the chorus goes like this. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. You remember that? Let's sing it. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. You got to clap to this one. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. It changes here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. Stop. I'm not going. I know some of the rest of it, but I'll get it confused. Friends, if you will see that Jesus' words tell us, for yours is the kingdom, You can see the king now. Jesus says the kingdom is is at hand. It's near. Now, it's not come in all of its fullness yet. It's coming yet one day, and one day you will see your king coming. If you work on his kingdom instead of yours, we sang this earlier about seeking first the kingdom of God. Everything else gets added when we do that. It's about his kingdom. But here's what will happen one day. Your eyes, my eyes, we will see the king of glory coming in all of his power and all of his beauty. And one of two things will happen. You will either tremble in utter fear realizing the kingdom of heaven came and you missed a train. Or for you it will be the most glorious experience ever. And the reality is that kingdom that is coming is here now. And we can live in it. And part of living in it means that we pray, for yours is the kingdom, not mine. For your will be done, your kingdom come, not mine. See, this is the reality that Jesus is teaching. And not only did Jesus teach it, he lived it out. And so that Jesus might accomplish all righteousness, he went to the cross. And he gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God slain for your sin and my sin and the sin of the world so that if we would believe, 
We could experience the kingdom that is at hand right here and now. We could experience forgiveness of sin. We could experience power both over the penalty and the prevalence of sin in our lives. See, Jesus went down in the grave, but he didn't stay there, friends. He conquered death. And he appeared again to his disciples alive in the flesh, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so you can not only pray with confidence, but when you, when you see that word kingdom in this doxology, you, you can live with assurance and joy because it's his kingdom. It is coming in fullness one day, but it's already in the here and now. So you can pray with confidence, but you can live in fullness because his kingdom is coming. And then it's about his power for your, yours is the kingdom and the power. Now that word power is translated from the Greek word dunamis, and, and dunamis we get our word dynamite from, but when we think of dynamite, we normally think of one and done. But that is not the direct, real best interpretation of the word dunamis. Dunamis is the release of a power that continues forever. That's what the word dunamis here, that, that Jesus is using, that kind of power. It explodes, but it never slows down. It's just a continuous release of power. Have you ever noticed that most of the conflicts that go on in our world are in search of power? Somebody's wanting more, more power, more control, more authority. I don't know if you've ever kind of noticed that, you know, the, the people who make the laws also seem to be the ones who pass the judgment and try to define the truth. But here's some gospel good news about that. You want some good news about that? Because when you look at it in the world, it's kind of messy. But here's some really gospel good news. The Bible tells us that God is the giver of the law. The Bible tells us that God is the judge. The Bible tells us that God is the king. Now, here in America, we have this three branches of government system. But I'm telling you, the one I just named you is a much better one. It's the one that I want to live under, where God is the lawgiver, and he's the judge, and he's the king. And that king is coming. And there is only one who's going to be fit to rule that kingdom. And that's the Lord Jesus. Because it's his kingdom and it's about his power. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. It, it's, it's about power. And here's what power, that word in this doxology proclaims. It proclaims what God wills he is able to do. What is God's will he is able to accomplish? It's his kingdom. It's his authority. It's his power. Have you ever seen anybody who, you know, technically has authority but may not have the ability or the power? They call them mall cops. Did y'all, anybody see that movie, Mall Cop? You know, Paul Blart, you know, he, he had the badge but he had no, had no power. Friends, that is not God. Your God is not a mall cop. He's got the badge, but baby, he's got the power. All authority and power, that is who your God is. That, that's who he is. God has that. All power. If I had a soapbox right now, I'd get on it just so you know. The Spirit of God is powerful, and the Spirit of God is moving in our nation right now. About three weeks ago, revival broke out 
on the campus of Asbury University. And it is spreading to other college campuses. And it's spreading to a lot of places. And there are Christians who think that their spiritual gift is critic. It's not in the Bible, I'll tell you. It's like they're denying the power of God to change lives, to lead people to repentance and renewal. And it needs to stop. You do not need to criticize what God is doing in another brother and sister. Yes, I am all about theological integrity. But the greatest message that Jesus told us about theological integrity is to love one another, not criticize one another. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Jesus has power. The Holy Spirit has power. Don't you quench the Spirit. You got that? Can I quit there? Okay. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Jesus has it all. He has all the glory. God is worthy. God is beyond comparison. Some of you will remember in Exodus chapter 33, Moses said to God, he'd been being obedient to God, journeying with God, leading God's people, pouring his heart out for God. And he said, God, I want to see you, man. I want to see you in all of your glory. And what Moses was saying there, he's saying, I want to see the sum total of your character and your essence and your attributes and your being. The the word glory, most often in the Old Testament, is translated from the word kabod, which also gets translated as the word weight. Weight. Um, Not not like weight in line, but W-E-I-G-H-T. Okay, that, that kind of, uh, of weight. Um, some of you that are like me, are, that are C.S. Lewis fans, you're, you're familiar with his, his work, The Weight of Glory. Well, that, the book is really titled The Weight of Weight. I mean, that's, that's what it is, um, because that's how glory is. is uh, it's just a play on words. So glory means the weight of God's substance, of, of his significance. So God says to Moses, yeah, I'll reveal my glory. I'll let you see my essence. I'll let you see my attributes that are most important. I'll reveal myself to you. But he says, if I do that, Moses, it'll kill you. So i got to kind of hide you because no man can see all the glory of God unfiltered without Jesus. And Moses was without Christ in that moment. And so God hit him in the cleft of a rock. And the Bible tells us that, that God came by and revealed all of his glory to Moses. And this is what God said in that revelation. He said, the Lord, the Lord God, he is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in hesed, loving kindness and truth. God said, this is my glory. This is the essence of who I am. He proclaimed it. Glory is an awesome word. Man, I hope you've had opportunities where you've experienced the glory of God in your life. Maybe, maybe sometimes in worship here. Maybe sometimes in the privacy of your own home as you're reading God's word and you're praying. Maybe as you stand on the edge of the ocean and watch the sunrise or the sunset, depending on which coast you're on. Maybe, maybe it's when you, you walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time and experienced the glory of God. Maybe it was when you were camping out in the mountains where no man-made light was and you looked up at night at the vastness of space and you experienced the glory and greatness of God. That's just an itty-bitty, itty-bitty glimpse. 
itty bitty of what you're going to experience for all eternity. Just the itty bitty glimpse of the glory of God that you're going to experience for, for all e- eternity. Because his glory is, is, is a great way. Uh, Psalm 29 tells us to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. In the New Testament, the Gospel of John begins with this. In the beginning was the one who is called the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was truly God. From the very beginning, the Word was with God. The Word became a human being and lived here with us. And we saw his true glory. The glory of the Son of the Father. The only Son of the Father. When Jesus left heaven, Jesus laid aside his glory. He, he laid it down. Uh, some of you will remember there was a, what I'll call a little peekaboo moment when he took Peter, James, and John up the mountain of transfiguration and they got a little peek, a little glimpse of his glory. This happened not long before his crucifixion and I think Jesus did it then because when he was on that cross beaten and battered and deformed beyond human recognition, he wanted them to have had that experience to know what his glory looked like. And then Jesus was raised from, from the dead and he came back and he met with the disciples after his crucifixion and he was with them and they saw him for 40 days and then the bible tells us that on the day of the ascension that he was lifted in a cloud friends that was not a rain cloud that was a cloud of glory That was the Shekinah glory of God that you read about in the Old Testament when Isaiah talks about the the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was that cloud that that Jesus was lifted up into heaven on. And the Bible tells us that he's coming back in the same way. When he comes back, Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 25, it's recorded, said this, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. If you were to later today, go read in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says he will come with the clouds of heaven, and when he does, everybody will see him. Every eye will see him. Friends, his glory is a big deal. And we got to get we got to get right on this that it's not for our glory, it's for His glory. And so I want to invite you to dr- just drive as a stake in your soul. Psalm one fifteen one, Psalm one hundred and fifteen one says this: Not for us, O Lord, not for us, not to us, but to you be the glory. To your name we give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We just need to drive that into our hearts and our minds and live for his glory. And so in this doxology, that word glory proclaims this. We got to settle the glory issue, friends. We got to settle this deal. Whose glory are we going to live for? Our own or, or for his? See, saying Jesus, by your empowering grace and your goodness and with the help of your Holy Spirit, I want to be a hallowed be your name kind of guy. I want to be a, a hallowed be your name kind of woman. I want it to be your kingdom, God, because it's your power and it's for your glory, not mine. We got to settle the glory issue. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for how long? Forever. Friends, remember this is this is prayer. Jesus is teaching us the prayer. 
his disciples to pray. This is part of his prayer training. Friends, prayer is not a waste of time because prayer is beyond time. When you pray, you enter into eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11, not in your notes. You can write it down and look it up later. But the Bible tells us there that God has planted eternity into every human heart. There's never going to be a time when God is not God forever. Is his authority and power and glory. From, from everlasting to everlasting, he always is. You know, in our day, people talk a lot about being on the right side of history. And I get it. And that's, that's cool. But friends, it is a whole lot, it's going to be a whole lot better if you're on the right side of eternity. It's just going, that's going to be the right side you want to be on. And I know it's hard sometimes to think about these kinds of things, entering into forever. Yesterday, Kathy and I, some of you I know, uh, were over at Sturr's funeral home. Our dear sister, uh, Donna Ross, her mother uh, of 83 years passed last Tuesday, stepped into the presence of Jesus. The next day, a dear, dear lady in, in our church, Kathy Jacoby, her sister Vicki, 68 years old, stepped into eternity. Every day, thousands of people are stepping into eternity. Just, just this past week, the, C, the CDC told us about 97 more people who died from COVID stepped into eternity. Every day, here in our state, here in our city, right now as we're meeting, people are stepping in, in, into, uh, just across that threshold, just stepping in. Which side of eternity are you going to be on? Have you settled that issue? Because forever, friends, is a long time. And here's what the word forever in this doxology proclaims to me. It proclaims that I must prioritize eternal joy over temporary comfort. You cannot live for both. You can't live for temporal comfort in this life and the eternal joy of glory. Life is too short to do both. So which one are you going to live for? See, you turn to Jesus, he will give you eternal joy. You give your life to Christ, he will, he, he will give you his everlasting kingdom. But don't wait until it's too late. And if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, like Colby talked about doing earlier, if you've never done that, then would you please, before you leave here today, would you ask that friend who invited you to come with them? And if you just showed up here today and nobody brought you and you're looking for somebody to talk to, I'll do it. We've got other people that would love to tell you about how to put your trust in Jesus so that you are on the right side of eternity forever. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then there's that little word, amen. Amen. And sometimes I think people think, that basically that's like a different way of saying the end. That is not what amen means. Amen, amen. Some of you have been speaking Greek for most of your life and didn't know it because amen is a Greek word. It's, it, it's a Greek word. And amen gets used. It's not a throwaway in this prayer. Did you know that amen is actually one of the names that Jesus gives to himself? In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus, speaking to John in a vision, says this, I am the one called Amen. That's who Jesus is. You know, we, we think about, we, we pray and we say Amen. 
when Jesus taught, if you look, there, there are about 70 examples of this between the four Gospels combined. But uh, uh, about 70 times, Jesus would start teaching with a phrase, verily, verily. You read that before? Or truly, truly. What, that word is actually, I mean, I mean. That, that, that's, that's what it is. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, says this about Jesus. He says, all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes and in him, amen. There's a reason that when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, that he told us to pray, amen. And that is because it is an agreement that we want to see all of the promises of God fulfilled. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see his power released. We want to see his glory cover the earth. And so, amen, proclaims, yes, let it be so. That's what amen proclaims. Jesus, let it be so. According to your word, according to your promises, according to your will, according to you, Lord Jesus, that every promise of God in you is yes and amen. It will come to pass. And what that means is your eyes. My eyes, this is a promise from God. You'll get to see the king coming in victory. You'll get to see the king evict the enemy of your soul from this planet and set up his rule and reign here and restore all of creation forever and ever. Amen. And the dwelling place of God will be with mankind forever. And you'll behold him. You, you will see him. Every enemy gone, every tear wiped away, every cancerous cell defeated, every virus done away with, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Let it be so. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we come thanking you for the prayer that you gave us, your disciples, teaching us how to live in your kingdom in the here and now, showing us how to commune with our Father who is in heaven whose name itself is holy. Thank you, Jesus, for this great prayer. And thank you, Jesus, for the reminder at the close of it of the confidence we can have, the hope we can have, the joy we can have, because it is your kingdom. It is your power. It is your glory. We have a foundation to stand on for our faith that is rooted in absolute truth. Thank you, Jesus. And we come longing for that day of your great return. Longing for your glory to come in all of its fullness and beauty. Longing for your power to redeem all of creation. Longing for your kingdom to come in its fullness. We long for that, Jesus. We say yes and amen to those promises. And we come, Jesus, aware through this prayer that you deserve it all. You deserve 
all of the kingdom. You deserve all of the power. You deserve all of the glory for what you have done for us on Calvary's cross. You deserve it all, Jesus. And so we want to close our time together worshiping you. Worshiping you, the one who deserves it all, because you gave it all. So we come declaring yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You deserve it all.